Hi, I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding the Bible in its original context and its wisdom for today. Let's get started. All right, welcome back um, to episode two. We're excited to talk a little bit more about what is Hebraic thought. Um, that phrase may seem a little bit uh, unusual, or maybe you haven't heard heard it put like that before. But talking about the Bible in the like through the lens of um, Hebraic thought is really important. We're going to talk about actually what that means, practically what that looks like. Um, for those of you and everyone listening, you may not have gone on a, a passages trip with us. Um, passages exist to take Christian college students to the Holy Land, to Israel, to experience the roots of their faith, to understand the, the geopolitical modern day realities of Israel. Um, if you have been on a trip to Israel with us, then this concept of Hebraic thought is kind of a continuation of what you learned and experienced while you were on the ground in Israel. For those of you who haven't been to Israel, I think this is a great entrance point into understanding why why the land of the Bible, why the, the context of the Bible is so important um, to spiritual formation, to who we are as followers of Jesus. So kind of with that, can you, uh, Dr. Drew Johnson, who is with us today, um, can you talk a little bit about what is Hebraic thought? Like, where, where do we start there? Yeah, so most simply, Hebraic thought is just it's just how the biblical authors thought about the world. They had mm-hmm. thoughts. Um, they had lots of thoughts. Uh, and we're really just talking about, okay, well, what do they think and how do they present those thoughts to us? Uh, obviously, they present those thoughts in story, law, and poetry. Um, but you can also say things like, you know, those, those f- phrases that you hear in um, Bible classes like, Jesus didn't write a single word. He created a community, right? Um, so I think there's something about he, God created Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the community of Israel. That this this particular community that was called out of Mesopotamia, forged in the oppression of Egypt, um, brought into this not so great land in Canaan, um, and uh, and taught to depend on God. That's the arena within which Hebraic thought emerges. And if you want to think about it this way, we can think about American thought. You know, American thoughts on freedom are very different from how the rest of the world really thinks about freedom because we have a, a particular history, a heritage, a land, um, and these ideas that circulate in our community. We can talk about Greco-Roman thought. Uh, maybe you learned about this in Western Civ or th- where they always reference, you know, Alexander the Great and Greco-Roman thought. Um, you can talk about Egyptian thought, Mesopotamian thought, Chinese thought. We're really t- thinking about clusters and ideas and concepts um, that they think are true. They either hold them as convictions, like we just believe this is true. Uh, we can talk about the, some of those in uh, this episode and future episodes. Um, but also like their way of thinking about the world. Um, so the way we train college students is not how you would have been trained as, as a college student 200 years ago or as a college student in the medieval period, certainly not in the times of Jesus. So the rituals of understanding, how do you get someone to see this kind of invisible feature of the world that you want them to understand? Um, so when we say Hebraic thought, we just mean the biblical authors wanted us to see invisible features of the world that are important for us to understand. The coming kingdom of God that is already here, for instance, is a big one in the, in the Gospels that Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see. And what all goes into that? And how can we come alongside them and see what they're trying to show us? So. Mm. That was the simple answer, by the way. Okay. <laughs> That's 
great. So Hebraic thought. Why do we use the term Hebraic? Why not mm. Jewish thought? Why not Christian thought? Yeah, so this is a mildly touchy issue. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we can talk about the history of Christian thought, which is, again, if I were to tell the history of Christian thought, I would begin in Genesis and work our way through the people of Israel all the way up to the exile and the return, Second Temple period, Jesus' Jerusalem, up through Christianity and the Roman Western world, the Eastern world, et cetera. But what we're talking about is how how do Christians, uh, Jesus followers after um, after the time of the New Testament, how do they think about Jesus's, you know, the Trinity, Jesus's uh, personhood, and how that relates to his divinity? That's what we call Christian thought. So when we say Christian thought, we really mean a very distinct set of ideas that have been hashed out throughout history. Kind of like the creeds. Yeah, well, exactly. Okay. The confessions, the creeds, the councils. Um, they're, they're, it's focused, it, it, you know, it's already a set world within which people have very definitive ideas and it's all after the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's the, what happened in light of the scriptures and the Christian community. Um, Jewish thought, same thing. We're really talking about after the fall of Jerusalem, after the Bar Kokhba revolution, how do Jews through the Talmud, the Mishnah, Gemara, how do they react? How do they form their thinking? What do they think is important? Um, especially in light of the destruction of the temple, what do you do when you know when your when your community is built around a physical place? What happens when that physical place you can't get to it anymore? Mm -hmm. or it doesn't exist. So Jewish thought, which again, just like Christian thought, plows straight up to today. You know, you can think about post Holocaust Jewish thought versus European Jewish thought versus Ashkenazi versus Sephardic, um, and there are entire departments of Jewish thoughts at university. Jewish thought at university, and and same thing with Christian thought. So we don't mean either of those when we say Hebraic thought. Uh, so maybe it's just an unfortunate choice of terms. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've searched for all kinds of other ways to say it. But Hebraic really just means that it's a fundamental way of thinking about the nature of the universe, to think about the nature of justice, truth, biology, marriage, sex, you know, name what, mm -hmm. whatever you think. What's the nature of these things beyond my marriage? What's the nature of marriage? Beyond this chair we're sitting on, what's the nature of chairs? Um, and we're looking at it specifically from within the Hebrew Bible and how that thinking extends into the New Testament. So Hebraic thought is just as much New Testament as it is, quote unquote, Old Testament. Mm. Um, I chose the word Hebraic because after dealing with Jewish, Christian, Semitic, which wouldn't quite be true, Southwest Asian is kind of true because it is in Southwest Asia, but that includes Mesopotamia uh, and other in, in Turkey and Syria as well. So Hebraic just refers to basically it's it's the thinking that comes to us primarily in the language of Hebrew from a mm. group of people called Hebrews, um, you know, who are also called Israelites and Judahites and and later Jews. But Hebrew and Hebraic seems to be the the center, the core of what's going on in the text. And then when you get to the New Testament, they all think the Hebrew Bible is right. You know, I've heard if you want to you want to know what Jesus was thinking at any given time, read the Old Testament because that's what he was thinking. That's his source book for thinking, as we'll, we'll discover in this uh, series of podcasts. So um, it's kind of a nerdy reason. It has to do with sociology and history of how things have just turned out. But mm -hmm. Hebraic thought is, is the biblical author's thinking uh, given to us first in Hebrew and then later translated into Greek and many other languages. Okay. So you mentioned – um, American thought. You know, I think a lot of us um, are probably going to be coming from that standpoint of, you know, being... Me too. Yeah, same. 
Same. So with that in mind, why is it important for those of us who, you know, we didn't grow up in a Hebraic context. Mm. I mean, those of us who are alive today probably didn't, <laughs> right. um, at least not in the in the historic context in which the Bible was written. So why is it important for us to be able to understand Hebraic thought, to understand the Bible? Why can't we just pull the Bible into American thinking? Like, mm. does that work? And if it doesn't, why not? Yeah, it does not work. Okay. I kind of figured you'd say that. <laughs> it does not work so hard. Like, um, yeah, and you see people doing this all the time. We've all done this at some mm-hmm. point. We've tried to pull some scripture over. Uh, I think you and I talked once about the the scripture that uh, I hate divorce, that God hates divorce, mm. right? And then people pull that over uh, into uh, the modern context, the modern context of divorce, and they say, okay, well, look. God hates divorce, so you should never do it under any circumstance. Well, the Torah actually gives circumstances in which you can get divorced. Um, Jesus gives circumstances under which you can regretfully get divorced. Uh, It's not desired, but there are accommodations, which the Torah is full of accommodations. Jesus is constantly teaching what the Torah says and the accommodations that the Torah uh, gave us, as well as instruction for how to be a wise and discerning community that can extend God's love and justice into the world. Um. But if you just take, well, God hates divorce, the prophet said it, therefore that settles it, right? It's kind of like the, well, you know, if King James English was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. And you're like, something wrong with that argument, right? Um, and so, yeah, you have to ask the question, well, why, what, what is it about divorce? Oh, divorce is actually being used as a metaphor there in the prophet. And so, um, just thinking more holistically about, well, what is the problem? How is it being diagnosed? Uh, we're really just talking about contextualizing it both in its own piece of literature and history. Um, so a lot of what we're talking about in Hebraic thought is really doing just due diligence of thinking what the words would have meant. Again, the kind of, if the biblical authors were here in the room, this kind of like, well, okay, I know I said that. You know, Well, you said, well, yeah, I know I said it, but do you want to know what I meant? Mm-hmm. And, and the way we know what they meant is, is to recontextualize. Um, now that's not the end of it. That doesn't get us to Hebraic thought, but that gets us from abusing, uh, passages. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, I just saw a coffee cup the other day that said, uh, I could do all things through a passage taken out of context. Uh, there's, there's more nerdy academic ways to say that, but that's essentially the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can do anything with a passage taken out of context. As a final example, um, I was just teaching in class this last week, Jeremiah uh, 29, for I know the plans I have for you to prosper mm-hmm. you, right? And I said, look, we're, we're in, in May around graduation, we're going to see this, this passage taken out of context big time. And it's funny when you just show students what is the, con- the on-the-ground lived reality in Israel and in exile in Babylon – um, and what those people have suffered, they see for themselves that it's actually kind of silly to put that on a greeting card and give it to a graduate. Mm. Uh, it's not wrong. It's not morally wrong. It just is silly. Um, and, and it really seems a little disrespectful towards the text that we have for us. So mm. if, if, uh, if I wrote my wife a long letter, uh, I would hope that she would read the whole letter and take every part seriously, right? Mm. And not saying that God wrote us a long love letter. And, <laughs> In scripture, the Bible I'm not is making God's that. Love in, in, <laughs> it is, but that's not all. It is. It's it's, uh, it's also his his jackhammer on on his community as well, trying to get us to chiseled out into the form he needs us to be. Mm. If it's not, you know, if it's just about knowing stuff and following rules, then fine, do all of that stuff. It's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But if it's to make us into a type of people, 
um, mm. a wise and discerning people who can guide others uh, accurately, who can be wise in the moment of crisis, who can be wise in the the, the cool moments where we just need uh, wisdom on of the many paths available. Which ones should we be taking? Um, then, then we have to do be very careful with how we hear the words of the prophets given to us in Scripture. Mm. That makes sense. I know we kind of talked about this a little bit in the first episode, but the the idea of knowledge, how we're you know the the studying and understanding we're going to be doing on Hebraic thought is going to lead us to knowing the Bible better. But the idea is not just to know stuff. I think as we talked about in the last episode, um, the the purpose and I think what we would hope our goal would be is that we would become a certain kind of people as right. a result of this. So I know that. You know, in in some contexts, there's a, a tendency for uh, people to to know a lot about the Bible and have theological conversations about the Bible, yes. and everyone's kind of just throwing in what they know and showing how much studying they've been doing. And it sounds like that's not the approach that no. we need to have here as it relates to Hebraic thought and understanding the full context of Scripture. Yeah, actually, when you said that, it reminded me when I tell people I love Leviticus. If I say that in public, guaranteed someone's going to come up after me and uh, you know and say like. I love Leviticus too. <laughs> and I usually brace myself because it's usually somebody who likes a lot of really fine details in Leviticus and they want to argue out every little point. And what do you do with this? And what do you do with that? And I was like, oh no, I love the part of Leviticus that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Do not take vengeance. Uh, when it says, love the foreigner as yourself. When it talks about, do not bribe justice, like the, the, mm -hmm. the, the principles of Leviticus and the atonement that we get through uh, sacrifices that accommodate us uh, by God. So, oh, I lost your question now because I got so <laughs> – I got this picture in my mind of that person that makes a beeline for me. Don't take this out. We'll leave this in. Um, <laughs> no, just, yeah, that's that's funny. Just the idea of, you know, whenever we use our knowledge of the Bible, it's yeah. almost a way to kind of one-up each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that certainly happens, uh, that kind of word vomiting that happens when people um, – Again, they think it's if if you think it's a bunch of things to know, or that knowing things about the Bible makes your understanding of it better than other people's. So this happens in scholarship all the time. You know, you say, "Well, here's what I think the Hebrew Bible is trying to say." Uh, the Old Testament authors are trying to say, and somebody will say, "Oh, that's just a that's just taken from this tablet in Mesopotamia, this uh, this legend legendary tablet." And and I have to say, "Well, well it's not interesting." That there's a story like this in Mesopotamia. There's a question. It's only interesting why there's a story like this. Is the biblical author riffing off of that story? Or are they, do they know that you know that story and they're employing it? Mm. So this kind of, uh, one upsmanship, uh, that happens, let's just be honest, happens a lot with guys, uh, Theo bros, as I call them. <laughs> Who who think like this is the way to the kingdom of God? And the funny thing is, is you get the apostles. I mean, you get it with lots of people, but with the apostles, Peter and Paul, I think of first, you know, who are just like, yeah, I, Paul especially, like, yeah, I know my stuff. You're like, you're not going to outsmart me. Uh, he he lets people know, like, it's not the, the fact you're going to outsmart me, but remember how I lived when I was with you. Right. Mm. Uh, I could appeal to be an apostle, but remember how I nurtured you. Remember how kind I was to you. Remember how I wasn't a burden. I worked and I wasn't mm. a burden on you while I was with you. Those are his uh, his most powerful philosophical appeals. Wow. How am I as a person in the presence of the community of, of God's people? Um, so, uh, again. And, and that's harder. Oh, that's, that's harder. way harder. <laughs> it's like not even in the – like it's actually really easy – 
especially if God gifted you with half a mind to study and memorize and just learn lots of things and memorize maps and facts and uh, relatively speaking, it's that's not even in the same cosmos of difficulty. Um, being forged in the person God needs you to make you into, you know, requires either you humble yourself or you get humiliated or some mm-hmm. off-on sequence of those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, when we talk about Hebraic thought, and we see this with God doing this to His people and to individuals, um, we're really talking about humbling ourselves so so you know turning down that volume knob of our own voice in our head that wants to say well this is what this is what scripture means and i know because i figured all this out mm-hmm. and really uh putting it into practice so for instance uh you know just to be very practical hebraic thought is not only how god cares for the poor but it is his people actually caring for the poor who understand his instruction about caring for the poor who can guide us better than people, you know, somebody who's never had a second thought about the poor people in their community. Now, poor can mean economically or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of different types of poverty we could think of. But people who have mastered scripture and theology and have never had a second thought about those other people, I would just say they've mastered nothing, right? Mm. They, they don't understand anything that scripture is about. Um, and this is what Jesus is on about. And it's why Jesus flips tables and whips people <laughs> and knocks things out of their hands and it's when when Jesus and John the Baptist kind of act like a jerk sometime, it's usually because people know things, but they don't live them. Mm. They have very, I mean, you look at Jesus, look at the red letters in your red letter Bible. His harshest comments are from people who supposedly know things, um, but don't practice them. Hmm. The rich young ruler being an easy example and the Syrophoenician woman who doesn't know much, but she knows that Jesus can heal her daughter. And even when Jesus is like, sorry, I didn't come for the dog's you know, didn't come for you people. I came for the children of Israel. Mm. She's like, ah, but even the dogs get to eat the scraps off the children's table. And, um, she's like, this one understands. Wow. So that's Mm. where, that's where we want to go. So when I say it's intellectual is spiritual, I really mean that those are all entangled into one big ball. And, and the problem we run into is people want to, and, and, and good people in the church, they, they've been taught to do this like, oh, that's, that's too much thinking. That's not spiritual. And uh, I just don't, I don't buy it for a second. I think mm. Jesus would have words for us if we shut things down because we thought it was too much thinking. I'd say it's too much thinking and acting and too much putting up with the community around you and too much of the community putting up with you. Like it requires everything of us. Um, yeah. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first one is brilliant on this, uh, on this effect. He's like, just. Yeah, it's going to hurt. It's not going to be fun. You're going to have to stop having sex with your stepmom. You're going to have to stop getting drunk off the communion. Like this is this is the real deal we're talking about here. But for the sake of the community, count it all a loss. Give it all, all away. Like forget about it. Right? Mm-hmm. It's worth it. So, mm-hmm. so the reason this is so exciting to me is because I really do think it's worth it. When the community, when you see the Christian community get a hold of um, the thinking of the Bible in their lives in their communities. It's transformative, mm. nothing short of. Wow. Wow. Well, we have opened a can of worms, and it's <laughs> going to be amazing. <laughs> no, no apologies. It's going to be great. Um, so thank you guys for being with us here today for our second episode. We are going to be talking even more about Hebraic thought next episode, mainly about how we are already thinking Hebraically. Is that a word? Hebraically? Sure. We'll make it up right here. All right. Um, So make sure that you don't miss that. And we look forward to uh, catching you back here again. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Discover Your Roots. This podcast is brought to you by the Passages team and is made possible by our generous donors. 
If you'd like to make a contribution to the work we do, please visit passagesisrael.org and click the donate button. To find more resources about the Bible in its original context, the roots of the Christian faith in Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Jewish-Christian relations, and more, subscribe to our newsletter at passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media to learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening.